Hey folks, uh, Joe Morris with uh, Answers Heaven Speaks. Uh, yeah, we're starting a little bit early for those of you who catch me live. Um, so there's a good chance you're still at work or, or whatever, but um, we're on our way up to back to Vegas. Uh, had a little bit of delay. We thought we'd go this morning and then the day just kind of kept on going. So we haven't gotten on the road yet. So we will do that. And Marissa suggested, well, what the heck? Why don't we just go ahead and get the show for today out of the way and and uh, that way we'll, there's Marissa. I'm here, I'm gonna be packing the car, so I'll be listening from afar. Yeah, Marissa's gonna be packing up the car and listening as I'm doing the story here. And um, we're not gonna get into any current events or talk about anything like that. I just wanna remind you that this is a story of Jesus. It's like reading a book. And um, that's kind of what we're doing. We're reading the Arantia book, uh, which is a very big, thick book. And it's got four sections to it. And the very last four, the last of the four sections is on the life of Jesus Christ, right from the day of his birth, even before, talking about what the political society was like before his birth and what he was being born into. And then, um, and then right up to where we are right now. And we've been through so much of it. And for those of you who are kind of catching pieces of this and you feel like maybe you're missing some of the things uh, during his life, it's really easy because uh, everything's saved on Answers Heaven Speaks. You just go to Answers Heaven Speaks on Facebook and tap on videos and they should all come up. They should all come up. So if you want to learn more about him in his, uh, in his 20s, it's all in there. Uh, he's now in his early 30s. They've just crossed the border from AD 29 into AD 30. And um, Jesus had gone to... Um, Oh, there's so much leading up to this, and I, I hate to recap it all. Uh, but Jesus is out with his apostles. He's, he's established the 70 that he wants to continue the ministry after he is gone. Uh, they're going to take about a one-month training. They have left the Sea of Galilee. They've set up a camp in, in uh, Pella, which is about halfway between uh, the Sea of Galilee and Dead Sea, halfway between the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem. And there's a lot of little towns, lots and lots of little towns. So the, the, the evangelists are going out two by two, two by two, two by two. And they're teaching. And uh, now all of a sudden, Jesus, there's this uh, feast of the dedication. Now he's just gone there. He went there for the feast of the tabernacles and, and really laid into the Pharisees. And they all wanted to stone him. Uh, but he snuck away. He, he got away. Um, now he's in the uh, Feast of the Dedication. I guess they got a lot of feasts. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, and he took Thomas and Nathaniel with him. And Thomas and Nathaniel are just freaking out. They don't think he should be going back to Jerusalem because they know that there's a warrant for his arrest. And he's going to go right back into the belly of the beast. He's going to be meeting some of the most powerful men uh, in the Jewish uh, government, let's say. And um, uh, so that's where we were. I'm going to back up just a little bit from uh, our, our ending yesterday. And again, Marissa is going to be listening as we're, we're telling the story. And um, uh, she'll pop in here. She's a little shy because she's not all dressed up or anything. She's actually sweaty because she's cleaning up the house and loading up the car. So uh, I'm going to get right into it. So Jesus had attended the Feast of Tabernacles that he might proclaim the gospel to the pilgrims. Maybe you'll remember that from all parts of the empire. 
At the Feast of the Tabernacles, people came, they call them pilgrims, would come, and they were Jews, and they'd come from all the way from India and all the way up uh, north of Rome, within the whole Roman Empire. And so a lot of people, a lot of people were around. And so um, when they're having all that, uh, that partying going on, there's like little groups all over the place uh, doing teaching, teaching, Pharisees teaching, but now Jesus has his evangelists and they're out there, they're teaching to small groups of people and they're even healing people of uh, sicknesses and illnesses, nothing major, nothing major yet. Uh, but they still don't believe him. They don't still, they still don't believe him in Jesus. No matter what he said, he said, I am the light and I am the way and I am the truth. And they're going, no, 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 you can't be. And he said, anybody that follows me that will not face, face death. And of course he's speaking of the spirit. But the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin just went nuts. They went absolutely nuts. They just thought that he was just the, the child of the devil. And so he got out of there before they arrested him again. And they going out and doing their thing with the, uh, with the evangelists to do their ministry. And, um, and now they've camped in this place called Pella where uh, David Zebedee, the, who has the messenger corps, has now set up another tent city for about 1,500 people. So people are all coming in, they wanna see Jesus, uh, as we would call him today, we would call him the rock star. You wanna go see the rock star. So they wanna see the rock star, they wanna see Jesus, they've heard so much about him. But he always quietly slips away, nobody really gets to find him. And uh, so he leaves, he leaves uh, Pella and heads down for about a day and a half walk. And he ends up staying in Jericho uh, for a night. And then he goes into Jerusalem the next morning, and that's where we are right now. And he's bound and determined to try to prove to these heads of the church, uh, uh, heads of the temple, um, that he is what he says he is. And he's not the child of the devil. So he's going back into the beast, of uh, the uh, belly of the beast again. So here, Jesus had attended the Feast of the Tabernacles that he might proclaim the gospel to the pilgrims from all parts of the empire. He now went up to the Feast of the Dedication for just one purpose, and that was to give the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders another chance to see the light. The principal event of these few days in Jerusalem occurred on Friday night at the home of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, uh, he was a guy that Jesus had met when he was in his 20s, and he, Nicodemus really believed in Jesus, and. Jesus was going to head out and start picking up apostles, and he had already named his apostles. Uh, but he wanted Nicodemus to come as well. But Nicodemus would have to give up all his wealth and all of his position, and everybody knelt down to Nicodemus, and he loved his, his uh, notoriety. And so he just kind of quietly hid by, behind a wall and cried when Jesus upped and walked away back when he was in his late 20s. But now Jesus is coming back, he's gonna meet with Nicodemus again. Again, Nicodemus is a big guy. I mean, he's a big guy in the whole, uh, uh, in the whole organization, whole Jewish organization in Jerusalem.
But that plugged into that. Let me make sure that's on. Is it on? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was dying. Good, I was running out of battery, so it's that's good. Sorry about that. It doesn't that. work all the time. That thing is not a trusty thing. Oh, it isn't? Yeah. Okay, I'm plugged in now. Yeah, now you should be plugged in. Yeah, and I don't control. want my computer to go dead. I've got that one plugged in uh, somewhere. I don't yeah, thing. Okay, you can take that back away then if you want to. You had that out in the kitchen. Keep it charging just in case. Okay, slight, uh, slight divergence there. So we just had to take care of some electronics. That's one thing about Marissa and I. When we get together, the electronics just go nuts. They just, they just go crazy. And we don't know whether it's uh, dark entities that are coming in and trying to screw everything up or what. But uh, anyway, let's get in through the story. And Marissa's going to listen. If she has anything to say, she'll pop in. Uh, we've really got to hit the road because we've got to get out to Vegas. Um, because... My grandson, Buddy, was promised that we were going to be there today. And then so, we'll have this. Oh, yeah. Look at Check yeah, this out. Hot Wheels. <laughs> oh, my God. That's what he's excited about now. He's got a lot of toys. <laughs> he's got a lot of toys. He's all boy. He is absolutely all boy. That's for sure. So, here we're gathered together with Nicodemus, together some 25 Jewish leaders who believe Jesus' teaching among this group were 14 men who were then or had recently been members of the Sanhedrin. And this meeting was attended by Eber. Uh, Eber had gone up to, to the Galilee area. You know what, um, could you give me a box or something I can put? I put it back in, into oh, yeah, the okay. garage. This one will do the perfect height. Well, that, is that it? This is the, it's about the same height as the one that you had. Oh, okay, yeah, just pick that up and put that down there. Otherwise, they're just looking at the top of my hat. Oh, yeah. There you go. That's perfect. Okay, thank you, thank you. Very good. So Eber is in this meeting with Nicodemus as well, and also Matadormus. Matadormus was that young rich guy that wanted to become an apostle with Jesus, but he refused to sell, get rid of everything. And then eventually, many years later, subsequently, after Jesus is leaving, he actually did. He got, got rid of all his stuff. And then Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph is the one that gives up his tomb um, to Jesus later on. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. So on this occasion, Jesus hears were all learned, learned men and both they and his two apostles were amazed at the breadth and the depth of the remarks which the master made to this distinguished group. Not since the times when he had taught in Alexandria and Rome and in the islands of the Mediterranean. Again, these are places he taught when he was out on, on those caravans, when he was a capitalist and he was buying and selling goods, buying and selling goods. He was also a tutor uh, to the uh, rich caravan owner's uh, uh, son. So he went to a lot of places. And uh, you won't find that in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus ever went to Alexandria or Rome, except when he was a little baby, when he was running away from all the two-year-olds being killed by Herod. Um, Joseph and Mary split and went to Alexandria and he's, he's got some relatives there but uh, when he was doing his caravan thing um, he traveled all the way up to uh, over to Alexandria and all the way up to Rome and even visited the islands of the Mediterranean so had he exhibited such learning and shown such grasp of the affairs of men both secular and religious when this little meeting broke up all went away mystified by the master's personality charmed by his gracious manner and in love with the man. They had sought to advise Jesus concerning his desire to win the remaining members of the Sanhedrin. The master listened attentively, 
but silently to all their proposals. He well knew that none of their plans would end up working. And he surmised that the majority of the Jewish leaders never would accept the gospel of the kingdom. The easy stuff. You can throw all your 613 or whatever number of rules the Jews have and throw them away and live by love God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Do your best to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, there are exceptions to that, uh, but we kind of went over that uh, maybe in a lesson about a week ago. So those two things, you do those two things. Uh, do the will of the Father, love him with all your heart and soul, <coughs> and then love your neighbor as yourself. You're not going to project. You're not going to say that you're a jealous person when you're looking through your own little jealous flakes in your, in your snow globe. You're just going to be a good person. You're going to do good things because you're being led by the Spirit, the Spirit that actually lives within you from the Father. And the Holy Spirit. You ask the Holy Spirit in, and then you also have now the Christ Spirit when you ask for it to come in. So nevertheless, he gave them all this one more chance to choose. But when he went forth that night with Nathaniel and Thomas to lodge on the Mount of Olives, that's where he went uh, during his um, uh, transfiguration, remember? The Mount of Transfiguration was on the uh, Mount of Olives. He had not yet decided upon the method he would pursue in bringing his work once more to the notice of the Sanhedrin. So that night, Nathaniel and Thomas slept very little. They're very worried. They were too much amazed by what they had heard at Nicodemus's house, and they thought much over the final remark of Jesus regarding the offer of the former and present members of the Sanhedrin to go with him before the 70. And the master said, no. My brethren, it would be to no purpose. You would multiply the wrath to be visited upon your own heads, but you would not in the least mitigate the, the hatred which they bear me. Go, each of you, about the Father's business as the Spirit leads you, while I once more bring the kingdom to their notice in the manner which my Father may direct. He is speaking to Nathaniel and Thomas. So now we're at the point of healing the blind beggar. This is pretty, where we're, pretty much where we left off yesterday. So the next morning, the three went over to Martha's home at Bethany. That would be uh, Lazarus's sister for breakfast and then went immediately into Jerusalem. And the Sabbath morning, as Jesus and his two apostles drew near the temple, they encountered a well-known beggar, a man who had been born blind. And I think we'll find that in Luke... 11. I think the story is uh, on the beggar, the blind beggar. It might be in all the Gospels. I'll have to double check. I'll do a little research on that um, before we do a Sunday show, uh, which will be strictly biblical. But like I said, I like to, on Sunday, I like to bring out all the Bible passages that go along with the story that we've been having all during the week. So we'll get into that. I think it's Luke 11, but you may find it in some of the other, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John as well. So he came along uh, a well-known beggar, a man who had been born blind, sitting at his usual place. And all these, although these mendicants did not solicit mendicants, people who were, had uh, medical problems, had, had uh, like being blind or deaf or lame or whatever, they did not solicit or receive alms on the Sabbath day. They weren't given anything from the church or anything 
on the Sabbath day. They were permitted, though, to sit in their usual places on the Sabbath. And Jesus paused and looked upon the beggar. As he gazed upon this man who had been born blind, the idea came into his mind as to how he would once more bring his mission on earth to the notice of the Sanhedrin and the other Jewish leaders and religious teachers like the Pharisees. So as the master stood there before the blind man engrossed in deep thought, Nathaniel, pondering the possible cause of this man's blindness, asked, this is, who is this, Thomas or Nathaniel? Nathaniel, Nathaniel's always got some great questions. And Nathaniel went far and wide, uh, if I remember right, uh, in, in after Christ. Uh, he went deeply into Asia, I believe. I think uh, Luke went, uh, no, Luke was Matthew. One of them went all the way over to um, uh, what's just south of uh, India. Uh, I can't think of the name of that country right now. But I think Nathaniel did. I think Nathaniel went way out there to uh, India. So he asked, uh, Master, who did the sin, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And the rabbis, the rabbis taught that all such cases of blindness from birth were caused by sin. Not only were children conceived and born in sin, but a, a child could be born blind as a punishment for some specific sin committed by his father. They even taught, the Jews actually taught, that a child itself might, be, might sin actually before it was even born. How can a child sin before he's even born into the world? They also taught that such defects could be caused by some sin or other indulgence of the mother while carrying the child. So there was throughout all these regions a lingering belief in reincarnation. We got into that a little bit at the end of uh, yesterday's. Uh, Marissa did some channeling on that. And it, it isn't just the simple word of reincarnation, it's really the death of souls. The death of souls don't come back. Not our personalities and consciousnesses. So the older Jewish teachers, together with Plato and Philo, um, philosophers, and many of the Essenes, tolerated the theory that men may reap in one incarnation what they have sown in a previous existence. Thus, in one life, they were believed to be expiating the sins committed in preceding lives. The Master found it difficult to make men believe that their souls had not had previous existences. We talked about that. Yeah, Marissa did. Yeah, that's right where we left off yesterday. And uh, Marissa came in. Uh, go to yesterday's uh, lesson, and um, which was on October 18th, <coughs> and go to the hour mark, and you'll see what Marissa had to say about uh, reincarnation. Uh, and I think it was mostly, I don't think Jesus got in there much. It was Peter and um, Luke, I think, got in there as well. I think Jesus finally came in. Jesus may have been in there. So. Yeah, Marissa doesn't remember when when she channels. She has a very hard time remembering what uh, what she says, and many times she has to go back and watch these all over again as well. I remember it like a dream. So, however inconsistent as it seems, while such blindness was supposed to be the result of sin, the Jews held that it was meritorious in a high degree to give alms to these blind beggars. I thought they didn't give alms on 
on Sabbath. It was the custom of these blind men constantly to chant to the passers-by, Oh, tender-hearted, gain merit by assisting the blind. Oh, tender-hearted, gain merit by assisting the blind as they hold out their cup. Jesus entered into the discussion of this case with Nathaniel and Thomas, not only because he had already decided to use this blind man as the means of that day bringing his mission once more, one more time, prominently to the notice of the Jewish leaders, but also because he always encouraged his apostles to seek for the true causes of all phenomena, natural or spiritual. He had often warned them to avoid the common tendency to assign spiritual causes to commonplace physical events. That's like us going, why God did you send that tornado into our town? There's just natural events. I mean, that's all part of creating the world. Things are going to happen. You just don't want to build your house in the middle of a tornado alley. It's not God's fault if you lose your house when you build it in a place where there's always going to be tornadoes. Same with hurricanes. I run that risk. I live on the coast. I run the risk of a hurricane every year uh, coming in and destroying my property. But that's that's a choice I've made, and, and it's not going to be God's fault if, if a hurricane comes and wipes me out because I know better. But I sure love living on the ocean. It's so peaceful, so peaceful. And we live on a bay, too, so the, the, the waves aren't big. They're small waves, and they're, they're soothing. They're soothing, soothing. We don't have big crashers, or, or uh, and sometimes there's, there's virtually ankle slappers at best uh, where there's hardly any wave at all. Uh, but this time of the year, we tend to get waves because we've got all these storms that come up from the south. And a lot of times those hurricanes hit Cabo. Poor those poor people in Cabo get nailed every year, maybe two times a year. So Jesus decided to use this beggar in his plans for that day's work. But before doing anything for the blind man, Josiah, Josiah by name, he proceeded to answer Nathaniel's question and said the master, Neither did this man sin nor his parents, that the works of God might be manifest in him. This blindness has come upon him in the natural course of events, but we must now do the works of him, the Father, who sent me. This is Jesus. While it is still day, for the night will certainly come when it will be impossible to do the work we are about to perform. When I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But in only a little while, I will not be with you anymore. Now, when Jesus had spoken, he said to Nathaniel and Thomas, Jesus, quote, Let us create the sight of this blind man on this Sabbath day that the scribes and the Pharisees may have the full occasion which they seek for accusing the Son of Man. And then, stooping over, he spat on the ground and mixed the clay with the spittle and speaking of all this so that the blind man could hear, he went up to Josiah and put the clay over his sightless eyes, saying, Go, my son, wash away this clay in the pool of Siloam, and immediately you shall receive your sight. And when Josiah had so washed in the pool of Siloam, he returned to his friends and family, being able to see. Having always been a beggar, he knew nothing else. So when the first excitement of the creation of a site had passed, he returned to his usual place of alms-seeking. 
his friends, neighbors, and all who had known him aforetime, when they observed that he could see, all said, Is this not Josiah, the blind beggar? And some said it was he, while others said, No, it is the one like him, but this man can see. But when they asked the man himself, he answered, I am he. When they began to inquire of him how he was able to see, he answered them. He said, a man called Jesus came by this way, and when talking about me with his friends, he made some clay with some spittle and anointed my eyes and directed that I should go and wash in the pool of Siloam. I did what this man told me, and immediately I received my sight. And that is only a few hours ago. I don't know yet the meaning of much that I see. And when the people who began to gather about him asked where they could find the strange man who had healed him, Josiah could only answer that he didn't know. That's Jesus. He comes in, pops in, pops out, pops in, pops out. People are always looking for him. So this is one of the strangest of all the master's miracles. This man did not ask for healing. He did not know that the Jesus who had directed him to wash us alone and who had promised him vision was the prophet of Galilee, who had preached in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. This man had little faith that he would receive his sight, but the people of that day had great faith in the efficacy of the spittle of a great or holy man. And from Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel and Thomas, Josiah had concluded that his would-be benefactor was a great man, a learned teacher, or a holy prophet. Accordingly, he did as Jesus directed him. It's a warm day here today. Thanks, Marissa. You're welcome. I poured out the rest of that cranberry apple or something. It was fermented. I was, took a drink and I went, oh my God, this is like wine. Oh. Like That's probably been in there for a while. So Jesus made use of the clay and the spittle and directed him to wash in the symbolic pool of Siloam for three reasons. Number one, this was not a miracle response to the individual's faith. He didn't have the faith. He didn't know that somebody was going to come and, and save him of his, of his blindness. This was a wonder which Jesus chose to perform for a purpose of his own but which he so arranged that this man might derive lasting benefit therefrom. Number two, as the blind man had not asked for the healing, and since the faith he had was very slight, these material acts were suggested for the purpose of encouraging him. And he did, he did believe in the superstition of the efficacy of the spittle. So he's thinking, oh my gosh, it was the spittle. That's what did it. It was the spittle in the clay. It wasn't the man. Boy, that man just knew how to spit just the right amount into a little clump of dirt. Anyway, and so this Josiah also knew the pool of Siloam was a semi-sacred place, but he would hardly have gone there had it not been necessary to wash away the clay of his anointing. There was just enough ceremony about the transaction to induce him to act. And number three, but Jesus had a third reason for restoring to these material means in connection with this unique transaction. 
And this was a miracle wrought purely in obedience. Purely in obedience to his own choosing. Don't forget, whenever he was healing other people, he was doing it through the Father. It was always through the Father. He would do as the Father wished him to do. Now he's using his own mind. He's using his own mind and his own decision. And thereby he described, he desired to teach his followers of that day and all subsequent ages to refrain from despising or neglecting material means in the healing of the sick. He wanted to teach them that they must cease to regard miracles as the only method of curing human diseases. We had a good lesson on that a week ago. We talked about it's your faith. Your faith can heal you. Yeah, Jesus can heal you just like that. Just like that. And he can heal a blind man who's been blind from birth. Just like that. With a little bit of clay and a little bit of spit. You can heal yourself if your faith is strong enough. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus gave this man his sight by miraculous working on this Sabbath morning and in Jerusalem near the temple for the prime purpose of making this act an open challenge to the Sanhedrin and all the Jewish teachers and religious leaders. This was his way of proclaiming an open break, an open break with the Pharisees. He was always positive in everything he did, and it was for the purpose of bringing these matters before the Sanhedrin that Jesus brought his two apostles to this man, to this man early in the afternoon of this Sabbath day and deliberately provoked those discussions, which compelled the Pharisees to take notice of the miracle. They had to see it this time. They saw the miracle firsthand. This from the guy that was calling them the children of the devil. Okay, now this one is Josiah before the Sanhedrin. This is, this is what happened. This is, this is the blind man again. And he's going to go up and he's going to testify in front of the Sanhedrin. So by mid-afternoon, the healing of Josiah had raised such a discussion around the temple that the leaders of the Sanhedrin decided to convene the council in its usual temple meeting place. And they did this in violation of a standing rule which forbade the meeting of the Sanhedrin on the Sabbath day. So they're breaking the Sabbath rules themselves. So Jesus knew that Sabbath breaking would be one of the chief charges to be brought against him when the final test came. And he desired to be brought before the Sanhedrin for adjudication of the charge of having healed a blind man on the Sabbath day. When the very session of the high Jewish court sitting in judgment on him for this act of mercy would be deliberating on these matters on the Sabbath day and in direct violation of their own self-imposed laws. But they didn't call Jesus before them. They feared Jesus. Instead, they sent forthwith for Josiah. After some preliminary questioning, the spokesman for the Sanhedrin, about 50 members being present, directed Josiah to tell them what had happened to him. And since his healing that morning, Josiah had learned from Thomas and Nathaniel and others that the Pharisees were angry about his healing being done on the Sabbath and that they were likely to make trouble for all concerned. But Josiah didn't yet perceive that Jesus was he who was called the deliverer. So when the Pharisees questioned him, he said, quoting Josiah, 
this man came along and he put clay upon my eyes. He told me to go wash in the Siloam and I do now see. One of the older Pharisees, after making a lengthy speech, said, This man cannot be from God because you can see that he does not observe the Sabbath. <laughs> so the good, good old Pharisee says, This man, Jesus, cannot be from God because you can see that he does not observe the Sabbath. He violates the law. First, in making the clay. Yeah. Then in sending this beggar to wash in the Siloam on the Sabbath day. Such a man cannot be a teacher sent from God. Then one of the younger men who secretly believed in Jesus said, If this man is not sent by God, how can he do these things? We know that one who is a common sinner cannot perform such miracles. We all know this beggar and that he, is, he was born blind and now he sees. Will you still say that this prophet does all these wonders by the power of the prince of devils? And for every Pharisee who dared to accuse and denounce Jesus, one would arise to ask entangling and embarrassing questions so that a serious division arose among all of them. The presiding officer saw whither they were drifting and in order to allay the discussion, he prepared further to question the man himself. So turning to Josiah, he said, What do you have to say about this man, this Jesus, whom you claim opened your eyes? And Josiah answered, I think he's a prophet. The leaders were greatly troubled and knowing not what else to do, decided to send for Josiah's parents to learn whether he had actually been born blind. They didn't even believe that he was blind. They see him every day. They were loath to believe that the beggar had been healed. And it was well known about Jerusalem, not only that Jesus was denied entrance into all the synagogues, if you remember that, they barred him from going into all the churches, all the synagogues, but that all who believed in his teaching were likewise cast out of the synagogue as well. They're excommunicated from the congregation of Israel. And this meant denial of all rights and privileges of every sort throughout all of Jewry, except the right to buy the necessities of life. So when, therefore, Josiah's parents, poor and fear-burdened souls, appeared before the august Sanhedrin, they were afraid to speak freely. Said the spokesman of the court, is this your son? And do we understand all right that he was born blind? If this is true, how is it that he can now see? And then Josiah's father, seconded by his mother, answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how it is that he has come to see or who it was that opened his eyes, we know not. Ask him. He is of age. Let him speak for himself. So they now called Josiah up again before them a second time, more like the third time. They were not getting along well with their scheme of holding a formal trial, and some were beginning to feel strange about doing this on the Sabbath. Accordingly, when they recalled Josiah, they attempted to ensnare him by a different mode of attack. The officer of the court spoke to the former blind man, saying, why do you not give God the glory for this? Why do you not tell us the whole truth about what happened? 
We all know that this man is a sinner. Why do you refuse to discern the truth? You know that both you and this man stand convicted of Sabbath breaking. Will you not atone for your sin by acknowledging God as your healer? If you still claim that your eyes have this day been opened, <laughs> as they're having their Sabbath meeting, their meeting on the Sabbath when that was a sin, politicians, politicians, what's that? Yeah. Okay. They're saying, well, you should be you should be thanking God for this. Not that man. But but Josiah was neither dumb nor lacking in humor. So he replied to the officer of the court, Whether this man is a sinner, I know not, but one thing I do know that, whereas I was blind, and now I can see. And since they could not entrap Josiah, they sought further. Wanted to question him some more, asking, just how did you, just how did he open your eyes? What did he actually do to you? What did he say to you? Did he ask you to believe in him? And Josiah replied, somewhat impatiently, I think we'd all be impatient at this point. Josiah says, I have told you exactly how it all happened. And if you didn't believe my testimony, why would you hear it again? Would you by any chance also become his disciples? When Josiah had this spoken, the Sanhedrin broke up in confusion, almost violence for the leaders rushed upon Josiah angrily exclaiming, you may talk about being this man's disciple, but we are disciples of Moses and we are the teachers of the laws of God. We know that God spoke through Moses, but as for this man, Jesus, we know not whence he is. Then Josiah, standing upon a stool, shouted abroad to all who could hear, saying, Hearken, you who claim to be the teachers of all Israel, while I declare to you that herein is a great marvel, since you confess that you know not whence this man is, and yet you know of a certainty from the testimony which you have heard that he opened my eyes. We all know that God does not perform such works for the ungodly, that God would do such a thing only at the request of a true worshiper, for one who is holy and righteous. You know, you know that not since the beginning of the world have you ever heard of the opening of the eyes of one who was born blind. Look then, all of you, upon me and realize what has been done this day in Jerusalem. I tell you, if this man were not from God, he could not do this. And as the Sanhedrin departed in anger and confusion, they shouted to him, saying, You are altogether born in sin, and do you now presume to teach us? Maybe you are not really born blind. And even if your eyes were opened on the Sabbath day, this was done by the power of the prince of the devils. And they were at once to the synagogue to, to cast out Josea. And they all went at once to the synagogue to cast Josea out. Now they're throwing him out. So Josiah entered this trial with meager ideas about Jesus and the nature of his healing. Most of the daring testimony, which he so cleverly and courageously bore before this Supreme, supreme tribunal of all Israel developed in his mind as 
the trial proceeded along such unfair and unjust lines. I think it would be like going up before Congress. I mean, in those days, I mean, these Sanhedrin, they were powerful, powerful. They were the upholders of the law. And they put a lot of people in prison for breaking even one small law. So, okay, here is uh, teaching in Solomon's porch. Now, he did that before. Jesus did the, it was when he was teaching in Solomon's porch during the Feast of the Tabernacles that Jesus said, I am the light. I am the light of the world. And he who follows me will never taste death. And the Pharisees were like, Psh! the steam just Psh! coming out of their ears. They're just so upset. They're saying, Abraham died, Moses died, and they all died. All the prophets died. How can you say that you will not die? Well, Jesus was talking about the spirit, not the human body. So all of the time, the Sabbath-breaking session of the Sanhedrin was in progress in one of the temple chambers. Jesus was out walking about near at hand. He wasn't there listening to what was going on inside the, um, the dungeon, so to speak. He was walking about near at hand and reaching the people in Solomon's porch, hoping that he would be summoned before the Sanhedrin where he could tell them the good news of the liberty and joy of divine sonship in the kingdom of God. But they were afraid, remember? They didn't want to talk to Jesus. They were afraid of him. But they were afraid to send for him. They were always disconcerned by these sudden and public appearances of Jesus in Jerusalem. The very occasion they had so ardently sought, Jesus now gave them to arrest him. Put him in jail like they put John the Baptist in jail. That's what they want. They want him to suffer in jail. Maybe eventually have his head chopped off just like they did to John. So Jesus now gave them, but they feared to bring him before the Sanhedrin, even as a witness. And even more, they feared to even arrest him now. This was midwinter in Jerusalem, and the people sought the partial shelter of Solomon's porch. And as Jesus lingered, the crowds asked him many questions, and he taught them for more than two hours. Some of the Jewish teachers sought to entrap him by publicly asking him, how long will you hold us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, why do you not plainly tell us? But said Jesus, I've told you about myself and my father many, many, many times, but you will not believe me. Can you not see that the works I do in my father's name bear witness for me? But many of you believe not because you belong not to my fold. Jesus goes on. He says, the teacher of truth attracts only those who hunger for the truth and who thirst for righteousness. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And to all who follow my teaching, I give eternal life. They shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given me these children is greater than all so that no one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. The father and I are one. Okay, you can just see him now. Well, the pilgrims are taking all this in, but any of the teachers of the Jewish law, they're all just fuming, just fuming. 
especially when he says the Father and I are one. Some of the unbelieving Jews rushed over to where they were still building the temple to pick up stones to cast at Jesus, but the believers restrained them. Thank goodness. So Jesus continued his teaching and he says, many loving works have I shown you from the Father, so that now would I inquire for which one of these good works do you think to stone me? And then answered one of the Pharisees, for no good work would we stone you, but for blasphemy, blasphemy, inasmuch as you being a man dare to make yourself equal with God. And Jesus answered, you charge the Son of Man with blasphemy because you refused to believe me when I declared to you that I was sent by God. If I do not the works of God, believe me not. But if I do do the works of God, even though you believe not in me, I should think you would believe the works. But that you may be certain of what I proclaim, let me again assert that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And that as the Father dwells in me, so will I dwell in everyone who believes this gospel. That's a little bit hard to believe. They can't understand it. How is this man going to be living in other people? They'll find out. They'll find out at the crucifixion, at his Pentecost, when he rises back up. But we still got a ways to go before we're going to get to that story. And when the people heard these words, many of them rushed out to lay hands upon the stones to cast at him. But he passed out through the temple precincts. He's quick. He's slick. He's fast. He gets out of the way really quick. And meeting Nathaniel and Thomas, who had been in attendance upon the session of the Sanhedrin, he waited with them near the temple until Josiah came from the council chamber. So at least Nathaniel and Thomas were at that Sanhedrin meeting when they were confronting Josiah. So that's where the story truly comes from, here in the Bible and here in the Arantibuk. So Jesus and the two apostles didn't go in search of Josiah at his home until they heard he had been cast out of the synagogue. When they came to his house, Thomas called him out in the yard and Jesus speaking to him said, Josiah, do you believe in the Son of God? And Josiah answered, tell me who he is that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have both seen and heard him. And it is he who now speaks to you. And Josiah said, Lord, I believe for that. There we go. Don't know who's calling me. Don't care. Probably somebody trying to sell me something. How are we doing on time? Uh, oh my gosh, I've got about 10 minutes. So let's, let's go through. And not sure if Marissa will pop in here today, but we'll see. So when Josiah learned that he had been cast out of the synagogue, he was at first greatly downcast. But he was much encouraged when Jesus directed that he should immediately prepare to go with them to the camp at Pella. And this simple-minded man of Jerusalem had indeed been cast out of a Jewish synagogue. They threw him out because he was miraculously cured. This simple-minded man of Jerusalem had indeed been cast out of the Jewish synagogue. But behold, the creator of a whole universe the creator of a whole universe, leading him forth to become associated with the spiritual nobility of that day 
and generation. And now Jesus left Jerusalem, not again to return until near the time when he prepared to leave this world. With the two apostles and Josiah, the master went back to Pella and Josiah proved to be one of the recipients of the master's miraculous ministry who turned out fruitfully. So he turned out to be a good guy. He had some uh, good soil for the seed to fall into for he became a lifelong preacher of the gospel of the kingdom. And that wraps us up on uh, paper 164. I'm not going to go on into 165. Uh, 165 is the Perean mission begins and we'll, we'll start that, uh, start that tomorrow. So, uh, anyway, I started at a strange time. I, um, thank you for those of you who do come on live. Um, I like to acknowledge at least the, the few people, even though I know there's going to be a whole lot of you that are going to watch this later and we really, really do appreciate it. Um, but I came on at a really goofy time. Who is in there? Anna Maria, Anna Maria. Susan June, Gleva's in there, Julia. Um, I miss some people yeah, here. Shelly, Shelly's here, Julia again. Uh, Rita, uh, and then Anna Maria. Um, I say Susan June. Thank you so much, you guys. Coming in here on a Thursday afternoon. I mean, it's, it's now five o'clock our time here on the West Coast, so no telling where. Do you want to say anything? Do you have anything to say at all? I'm in cleaning mode. I'll probably have something to say once we're driving. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm on the, I thought I was going to ask about something, but I, I feel like if I do that, then I'm going to kind of get ready to go. Okay. I'm in channeling mode, and I'll get on that. But I wanted to ask about the, um, the Josiah guy. The Josiah? Josiah, yeah. He is the blind man. Yeah. Who, who was he? Why did he, cho he chose to just make a... a Jesus a, just used a, him a, as an example. But when you said um, he chose to use his own mind instead of the Father's mind, it made me think of when I say, when we do healing using... God's will, then we're doing healing, but when we do it with our own mind, then it's black magic. Well, Jesus was given the right to do all the miracles that he did, because oh. he had had a big meeting with uh, Gabriel and uh, Ezekiel, or, or uh, I always get Ezekiel mixed up with, uh, Gabriel, uh, Gabriel. No, not, not Isaiah, um, uh, who's the guy that went up, who's the guy? Ishmael, no. Uh, no. Oh God, I can always get him wrong. I don't I can't remember who it is. Yeah, he went up, he went up. But it wasn't Ezekiel, it was um because whoever that guy Ezra? was that went up was it? Ezra? No. No, no, no. Yeah, we'll probably figure it out in the car. I'm so sorry. I get lost. I I, I forget I forget things and they don't seem to come back like they used to when I was a kid. Um, so anyway, I guess that's going to do it. Uh, watch for us. We may come back on on another. Um, we'll, pop, we'll pop back on once we're in the car. I just If I go into channeling mode, then I'm in channeling mode, and then I'll be like just stuck on, like I tell Jeff, I said, I feel like I'm stuck on stupid. I'm just like going in circles and not doing anything. So, But they want to talk about asking God to give us the ability to see because a lot of the is there anything you can just do healing, just for a couple of minutes the blind. here? No, I'm not going to go to channel mode. I will, I'll, we won't be out of here till 10 o'clock tonight. No. The, um, but they, um, they, said, uh, <coughs> they said that if we can ask God to give us the ability to see um, through the eyes of Christ each day that our life will shift dramatically because if we see life through our eyes, then we're defensive, we're rude. We, we like, I was sitting there today at the, at the mall and I was just sitting there watching people go by and I was thinking each one of those people has all their own drama 
and they think that their their drama is like the biggest drama in the world and they're just like a person passing by it's just another person passing by but everybody's got all their drama going on and i realized it and I, the guy the guy said yes they said all the drama is outside of us and it's not in us it's stuff that we make up so everybody has all these illusions and delusions and things that they see that really you're the only one seeing them because you're seeing them in the way that you see them and when in reality if somebody just looks at you they think oh that person they, they don't see all your drama and all of our dramas in our head so if we're able to see life through god or christ's eyes we won't see that drama anymore we won't see like um you know oh that person spited me or that person cut me off on the freeway and 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 uh you know they did it to me on purpose or you know i tried to get into a lane the other day and this guy kept moving forward moving forward and i was like oh my gosh let me in and i finally like rolled my roof down and i was like can i get in and he was like f you and i was just like oh my gosh i didn't even get in his way and he's like flipping me off and stuff and i'm thinking that guy's got issues um he wouldn't even let me get in like get over so that i could turn and i was being reasonable about it too and he was just like in his mind I was some like vicious woman trying to cut him off and take his place in line or something. Or maybe I was his older sister who took all the glory between, you know, him and his parents or whatever. But this guy was seeing life through his eyes and he was blind. He was basically blind to my intentions. He was blind to everything that was going on in the world except for his anger and his fury. So what the guides were saying today while he was talking was that there's so many people that get blinded and, and give, given the ability to see in the Bible, it feels like. That's like the thing, right? They heal, heal the blind. Because that's like the most impossible thing to heal, right? Healing the blind. No, this is the only one that we're aware of. I don't think. Well, Paul got the blind happened. healed. Paul was blinded. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and he he was healed. And they gave him the ability to see through the eyes of Christ. That's right. So so what they're saying is that that we can ask. We you may be completely blind. You may be one hundred percent blind, like that guy the other day that thought I was some vicious, crazy person trying to take his place in line and get there three seconds before him to the light or whatever. Um, and it's like. It, it's if you think about things in your life right now and you think about people accusing you of things or people telling you that you're a certain way or doing a certain thing, just remember that people may be blind. And you may be blind too. You may be blind to even seeing what your intentions are in something. So what Jesus is saying is just, he's saying without him stepping in my field, he's saying tell everybody to ask Christ to give you the ability to see through the eyes of Christ and, and everything will shift. It's like everything will just change all of a sudden. It'll like Things will be brighter or you just won't be angry all the time or just little things will shift. So he's saying, take, take the time right now to ask to be unblinded and see through the eyes of Christ. And you can ask for a certain situation that you're dealing with in your life and just say, show me that with unblinded. Show me that through the eyes of Christ and you'll just automatically see things different. There's no way to, he's saying, there's no way to say, oh, this will shift or that will shift. It's just, everybody will be completely different, but your heart will be lighter. He says, your mind will be lighter and your body will feel free from the binds that you get when you get stressed and angry and, and mad at the world and you feel like everybody's after you when in reality, you're just somebody just walking by. People could actually probably care less about you. <laughs> you know, nobody's coming out after you. You're just some person walking by and they're all busy, all tangled up in all their drama inside their head and all their little stories that they're telling themselves and, and, and um, trapped in the past or worried about the future. So stay present, ask to be unblinded, and we'll see you guys when we're in the car. We'll, we'll do some channeling stuff because we're going to be in the car for five hours. So. There we go. Guys always come in and talk to me while I'm driving, so it'll be perfect. Okay, we'll okay. see. All yeah, right. we'll see. I'll, I'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Okay. Okay. Um, that just about does it for this Thursday for us. What's that? It's so cool. Oh, look at this. Oh, my gosh. Is it?
Christina gave it to us to get the message. It hasn't even been open. Look it's at an, this. It's so cool. I figured oh you my that. gosh, Buddy is going to be no, so. No, Madison's getting that one. Madison's getting Madison, this one? Buddy, yeah. Oh, these are games and things. They're magic. Magic? It's magic. Look at it. Wow. It's the magic deluxe oh, set. So. Magic deluxe <laughs> so set. Cool. Check that out, people. They're going to be so excited. There's a lot of rich people in California, I tell you that. Somebody to buy this whole thing and then just give it away. My gosh. Marissa's lucky. She's got people have got some money, I guess. So uh, I guess that's it. Uh, Joe Morris with uh, Answers Heaven Speaks. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming in here at kind of a goofy time. I started a little bit early, but we got to hit the road, as they say. And you know what? We're going to... No, by us leaving a little bit later, Marissa... I think we're going to end up missing the traffic through LA. That's going to be good. Stop, 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 stop. <sighs> you guys can't hear me when that phone is ringing. So anyway, but I'm wrapping up. Uh, Joe Morris, uh, Answers Heaven Speaks. Uh, we're heading off to Vegas. So we will do a show again tomorrow. We'll do it. God willing, I'll be back here again then. So uh, that's Marissa. You can catch her now at the... Uh, well, she just did her channeling. I'll, I'll put it in the, the remarks in there uh, when Marissa comes in. She came in at about the 50 or 55 minute mark. All right. Thanks again, you guys. I really appreciate it. And uh, be blessed tonight. And uh, what, what ball games are going on? Thursday night football? Oh, you football fans, you get to watch a game.